Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher Kevin Connor. This series of messages is based on Kevin's best-selling book, Restoration Theology, available in paperback, hardback, and ebook formats from Amazon in your region, and also as a PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Okay, well, how's everybody tonight? Good. Okay, we want to make the best of our time for that 40 minutes that we have just goes so quickly. So uh, let's, as usual, just have a brief word of prayer and ask the Lord to help us tonight. Father, once again we, uh, once again we come uh, to you in joyful dependence upon you and upon your Holy Spirit to help us as we share tonight. We thank you for your precious word, Lord. We thank you for uh, the Holy Spirit amongst us. And uh, you said that when the Spirit has come, he will lead and he'll guide us into all truth. And he'll uh, bring to our hearts the things concerning Jesus. He'll take the things of Christ and glorify him. So we pray that the Holy Spirit will glorify Christ uh, as we share tonight in your precious word. We ask it in your wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. All right, now, how many, uh, by the way, do have the sheet from last week that we didn't quite finish? Okay, I've just got to take a very brief uh, moment on it. And uh, what we're going to do, uh, because of our time, and I do, uh, you know, we encourage you, of course, as you know, to uh, buy the textbook. So last week we particularly looked at, uh, just, this is just a brief review here. Last week we particularly looked at uh, the definition of the word restoration and saw what it meant in the Hebrew and the Greek and a, a couple of dictionaries, Webster's Dictionary and Collins Dictionary. And then uh, we spent a little bit of time on the laws of restitution or laws of restoration in the Old Testament. And in summarizing that, we found that uh, God gave these laws that was ever lost or stolen or destroyed or whatever. There had to be restitution and the restoration always included uh, not only what was lost, but uh, always in greater. And uh, we said together that God never gave to Israel laws that he himself would not fulfill. So the moment the, the Lord gave to Israel laws of restitution or restoration, synonymous words, he obligated himself to fulfill his own laws. And so, as we briefly mentioned last week, everything that we lost in Adam is restored in Christ. How many can say hallelujah on that? So, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, they were the three things that we lost in Adam. We lost the way, we lost the truth because Adam believed the lie, and we lost the life, the tree of life. So all that we lost in Adam is restored in the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, Jesus is the way to the Father, he's the truth about the Father, he's the life of the Father. So I am the way, the truth, and the life. So as I said, God never gave any laws to Israel that he himself would not fulfill. Now at the end of our session last week, uh, this is what I want just to uh, refer here, what uh, is not to be restored. So if you've got your notes, so why don't you say it with me? Number one. Okay, number one, the devil and his fallen hosts are not to be restored. So as I said last week, just to remind you, uh, every time God recovers the truth to the church, the enemy seeks to see how he can corrupt it or destroy it or twist it or just uh, make it into heresy. And so many people have rejected the truth of restoration uh, theology because, well, some of these things. So we had to sort of do a little bit of Jeremiah principle, rooting out, tearing down, pulling up and destroying before we could build and plant truth. So uh, number one, the devil and his fallen hosts are not to be restored. So let's say it one more time. The devil and his fallen hosts are not to be restored. Uh, I will say this again, just for those who may not have been here. Because Satan, as we understand it, and the angels sin as spirit beings, in the blazing white light of God's holiness, uh, they'll not be restored. Man was uh, made a little lower than the angels as a, as a spirit, soul, and body being and was deceived by Satan. But the uh, Satan and the fallen angels, they were spirit beings. And as I said, they sinned in the blazing white light of God's holiness. So no restoration. Number two, the second uh, area not to be restored. Let's all say it together. Unrepent mankind, Jew or Gentile. Now there are people, as I said last week, uh, a lot of the seed of it, particularly in uh, Portland, Oregon, uh, where there are a group of what we call ultimate reconciliationists. I call it ultimate rec. Uh, that say everybody's going to be restored in due time. They'll go through a little season of purgatory, and after so many uh, aeons of purgatory, they'll be restored. It's not in the Bible, as we'll see together. There's no restoration apart from redemption. 
Restoration is only possible through redemption. So unrepentant mankind, whether Jew or Gentile, uh, will not be restored. All right, number three, the third thing we looked at uh, briefly was the Mosaic Covenant economy is not to be restored. Let's all say that together. The Mosaic Covenant economy is not to be restored. And so by that we meant uh, the whole of the economy of uh, the Mosaic economy of circumcision, Sabbath days, new moons, uh, animal sacrifices, the Aaronic priesthood, and all those things. And there's a lot of teaching out there today in uh, what we call ultra-dispensationalism that says uh, in the coming millennium or at this end of the age the Jews are going to rebuild a temple and they're going to re-establish the whole of the Mosaic economy. As I said last week as we finished, God will never backslide. For God to reinstitute the Mosaic covenant after he's instituted the, the new covenant, it means that God has to go the other side of the cross. And uh, Christians may backslide, but how many know that God will never backslide? So those things will never be restored. It's circumcision of the heart. And uh, we are the temple of God now. And uh, the only sacrifices God is interested in are spiritual sacrifices. And of course, when uh, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to the waters of baptism, uh, John turned around and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And as Jesus come up out of the waters of baptism, God the Father just said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And it's very significant to, to keep in mind that in the Old Covenant, God ordained animal sacrifices and burnt offerings and peace offerings and everything like that. But the very things that God ordained, He was never pleased with. But when John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, God said, This, the Lamb, is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I think that's worth a little baby hallelujah, don't you? So God will never go back to the Mosaic economy. All right, number four, the fourth thing that will not be restored is Jewish nationalism. Now we'll be picking this up in in a subsequent session, but just very briefly here. By Jewish nationalism is this, that there's a teaching that's floating around, and I used to teach these things and had great anointings on it till I found I was wrong. (laughs) and had to unlearn a lot of things on these things. So by Jewish nationalism is that the teaching is floating around today that uh, in the the coming millennial kingdom, God's going to exalt the Jewish nation above all the nations of the earth and the Jewish uh, 144,000 evangelists, they're going to go into all the nations and become the great missionary nation and everybody's going to go up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. If they don't, they'll get no rain, the curse will be upon them and so Jewish nationalism is exalted. Well, as I finished up saying last week, for God to exalt Jewish nationalism is to exalt the national natural birth above the spiritual birth. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, you're a Jew, you're a teacher in Israel, you're a master in Israel, you have got to be born again. So the message for Jew or Gentile today is they must be born again. Everybody said a hearty amen. So this is anti, not anti-Semitic or anything like that. It's not anti-anybody. It's just saying what Jesus said. You're Jew or Gentile, you must be born again. All right, so everybody convinced what restoration theology is not? Ask your question. Everybody convinced? So this is what we're talking about, what we mean by what is not to be restored. Now, let's just go to your page there and do the last fill-in here because I do want to move on to our lesson tonight. Okay, what is to be restored? So what is not to be restored? What is to be restored? We have uh, four things here. So number one, and just do your fill-in for now, restoration of earth and fallen creation. We want to look at that a little bit tonight. So restoration of earth and fallen creation. Very briefly, when Adam fell and when his wife fell, they were king and queen over all creation. And when man fell, all creation fell with the man at his head. So restoration of earth and, and fallen creation. All right, number two, we'll pick these up later on. Restoration of man to the image of God. So whether Jew or Gentile, man can only be restored to the image of God through redemption. Redemption precedes restoration. There's no restoration apart from redemption. So number two. Number three. Number three, the next, uh, next one is the restoration, and you'll notice what I've said here, repentant Israel nation. People say, well, well, what about the Jewish problem? What about the nation of Israel? Uh, hopefully we'll try and do a session on that in brief, but restoration of repentant 
Israel nation. So uh, we'll, we'll hopefully spend a, a session on that. And then number four, which is the major area you want, want to spend on, number four is restoration of the church to its early glory, all that we lost in the dark ages and so forth, restoration of the church. And under that we've got A and B, just for your fill-in here. I think we have, yes. A, restoration of the church to former and greater glory and power. And then B, restoration of truths that were lost over church history. So that, that'll be the major area. So I'd like you to say those four things with, with me. So what do we mean by restoration theology? What is to be restored? Number one, all say it together. Restoration of earth and fallen creation. Number two, restoration of man to the image of God. Number three, restoration of repentant Israel nation. Number four, restoration of the church to former and greater glory and power and truths lost over church history. Everybody said amen. All right, now I want you to turn over to uh, uh, a scripture in the book of Isaiah here just before we uh, move on. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. And here we have a beautiful verse here in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 58. In Isaiah chapter 58, uh, verses 12, verse 12 will, will do. Beautiful verse here, and I'd like to apply it to the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, uh, and, and uh, his people. And they that uh, shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, and we think of what the early church was and what happened through church history and the last day church. You will, be recall, uh, you will be called the repairer of the breach and number two, the restorer of the paths to dwell in. How many think that's a beautiful scripture? So build again the old waste places, raise up the foundations of many generations, the foundations that were laid in the early church and you will be called number one, the repairer of the breach and number two, the restorer of paths to dwell in. And then I'd like you to look at one other scripture in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. I think it is. Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. And this is uh, so applicable if it was uh, applicable in, uh, in the time of Isaiah. To the people of Israel then, it's very applicable today. So Isaiah chapter 42, and we'll pick up in verse 21. Verse 21 and 22. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. But this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes, and they are hid in prison houses. They are for a prey, and none delivereth for a spoil, and none says restore. Listen to it. A people robbed and spoiled, snared in holes, and in hidden prison houses, and if we like to say this, can represent the denominationalism that has robbed God's people, God's people being robbed and spoiled, snared into holes. Will you walk into my parlor, said the spider to the fly, snared into holes, and hidden prison houses. And they are for a prey, and none delivereth, and for a spoil. And none says restore. Well, saints today, I'm praying and saying, God, restore. Amen. Restore to the church all that has been lost over church history. That's what we're talking about. All right, so much on our, our, our time there. Now I want you to turn to the sheet that we've got here uh, for our sheet tonight. And I'd like you to go over to uh, Genesis, chapter, Genesis chapter 1. And we want to base our remarks on the first few verses of the Bible here. Genesis chapter 1. All right, now Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 1. And what we're going to be looking at tonight is this whole area of the principle of restoration in creation. 
And just be always because of our time restraints, I want to link creation and man, uh, what, is, what is to be restored, I want to link this together here. So let's read Genesis chapter 1, and I'd like to read verses 1 through to 5. All right, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through to 5. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God uh, moved or was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the night the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Pray the Lord will bless that to our hearts tonight. Now, let's go to you, uh, your lesson sheet tonight, and uh, we're just going to follow briefly as we can the uh, outline that I've given you. Now, I want to start off by saying this, uh, and I know these are pretty uh, solid statements. I personally believe, as we look at these first few verses in the book of Genesis here, I personally believe that these few verses are actually the key to the whole Bible. And, and it lays out what I call the first principle of the Word of God. It's, it's the key to the whole Bible and what I've called here on your notes here, the principle of the restoration in creation. So what I want us to do together as we sort of work through our, our brief outline here is look at the big picture. So let's look at the big picture and uh, see how we go through it tonight. And remember my style of jigsaw puzzle Building, laying out the parts of the puzzle, then bringing them together. All right, number one on the outline here. In verse one, we have the original creation. So number one, in verse one, we have the original creation. Now you'll notice how Genesis starts off here. In the beginning, God. Now we have no time element here. Doesn't say 6,000 years back or 10,000 years back or 20 billion years back and all the zeros that uh, some of the uh, evolutionary guys add on. Just in the beginning. And who can find the beginning? So we have no time element here. In the beginning. And then we're told here, still under this verse here, in the beginning, so somewhere way back in eternity, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So uh, creation, and I believe in creation, don't you? I don't believe in evolution, evil solution, uh, devolution, evil solution. Yeah, what's the difference? It's all the same. I believe God created. So way back in eternity, time passed, we don't even know. Just in the beginning, not from the beginning. Whenever it refers to the devil, it says the devil sins from the beginning. But when it refers to God and what we have here, in the beginning God, and in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So in the beginning, nobody can find that. So the original creation. And uh, very interesting, the word God here. The word God is the Hebrew word Elohim or Elohim. And uh, it actually denotes plurality of divine persons without telling us how many. It's a uniplural uh, uni Hebrew word. So in the beginning, Elohim. Uh, when you see El, uh, it's usually referring to one person of the Godhead, like thou should call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are spoken of as El, El. But when we see this uh, uniplural Hebrew word here, Elohim, it denotes plurality of divine persons. doesn't tell us how many. Later on we know it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in verse 1 we have the original creation. God created the heaven and the earth. So the creation of the heaven and the earth. New King James puts uh, heavens in the plural, by the way. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when we come to verse 2, a very controversial verse, we're told that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So under number 2 here, you can put verse 2, we have what I called a ruined creation. Now, under the ruined creation, and there's two different theories on this. I'll tell you which theory I follow as we, as we sort of build the picture here. Uh, one theory says that uh, the, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And one theory, one school holds this opinion that the earth was created like a lump of clay and uh, uh, it was without form, it had to be fashioned, and that the earth was just like without form and void, uh, and, and, the, and, and God, the divine potter, was going to fashion the earth. And so that's one theory. I, I don't uh, follow that myself. The theory I follow is this. 
And it's not my fault if I'm right, is it? <laughs> anyway, we'll find out when we get there. But this theory holds this, and this is what I want to build up. That something between verse 1 and verse 2 happened. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Now, I want you to go over to uh, Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. And uh, Isaiah supplies us something that uh, Moses doesn't. So Isaiah chapter 45, I want you to know there's a very uh, particular verse here. Isaiah chapter 45. Everybody doing all right there? All right, Isaiah chapter 45. And uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 45 and verse 18 you can put down. He supplies something for us, I believe, that Moses didn't back here. Uh, All we're told in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now listen to what Isaiah says, Isaiah 45 verse 18. For thus says the Lord that created the heavens, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and thus says the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, So thus says the Lord, the creator of the heavens, and God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, and notice it, he created it not in vain. Now the word in vain is the same Hebrew word as we have back here. The earth was, without form, it became a waste, a ruin, and emptiness. And darkness is upon the face of the deep. Bohu and tohu, I think they're the Hebrew words there. The earth was without form. It became a waste, a ruin, an emptiness of without form and void. And Isaiah says, Thus says the Lord that created the heavens and God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. It's the same Hebrew word. He did not create it a waste, a ruin, an emptiness. So something seems to have happened between verse 1 and 2. Now we're looking at the principle of restoration. So in verse 1 we have creation, but in verse 2 we have degeneration. The rest of chapter 1 is restoration. That's the picture. So in the beginning God created the heaven and earth. Something happened between verse 1 and 2, and the earth was. Now, the school who which I follow and which I'm sharing with you tonight, and if you disagree with me, do disagree agreeably. Amen? All right, so this school follows that the word was can be translated and the earth became without form and void. It actually became a waste, a ruin, an emptiness, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So, if that's so, as we're told, now let's continue with Isaiah because he adds something, adds something else here that Moses doesn't. So thus says the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He cre- created it not a waste, a ruin, an emptiness, which the word vain is without form and void, same Hebrew word. What was the purpose of it? He formed it to be inhabited, to be lived in, to be dwelt in. And then he says, I am the Lord, and there is none else. So Isaiah supplies us something here. So this is what I believe happened. So way back in eternity, timelessness, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth became without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, the school that follows this, what I'm sharing with you, particularly on this part here, ruined creation. Something has happened from the original creation, now we have a ruined creation. So, original creation, ruined creation. Now, just put down some scriptures here. We haven't got the type of time to uh, turn to them. Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 14. I'll give you the scriptures first, then I'm going to quote them and weave them together in our big picture. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Proverbs 18, verse 12. This is all under ruined creation, frustrated purpose. So Proverbs 16, verse 18. Proverbs 18, verse 12. Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. Luke 10, verse 18. And John chapter 8, verse 44. 
So one more time, Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 14, Proverbs 16, 18, Proverbs 18, 12, Luke chapter 10, verse 18, John 8, 44. Now, let's look at the picture. Now, as I understand the big picture, way back in eternity, somewhere, God created the heavens and the earth, and somewhere between verse 1 and 2, it seems, my, my understanding of the scripture, that God created the angelic hosts. And the chief of the, uh, of the angels, the archangels, and we assume from Scripture that there are 12 archangels, and the chief of the 12 archangels was one called Lucifer. And Lucifer means day star. And so if you want to turn to this Scripture, you can, uh, just to look at it uh, in your own Bible here. In uh, Isaiah chapter 14, the reference I've given you, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, and most expositors uh, understand this to refer to uh, the fall of Lucifer or the fall of Satan. And so in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, O day star, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you're going to be brought down to the pit, to hell, to the sides of the pit. Now, I want you to sort of look at the big picture here. So, after God created the heavens and earth, this is the picture it seems to give us, God created the angelic hosts. And when God created the angelic hosts, he, he took, and I don't know what other expression to use, he, he, he took what I call a calculated risk, and he created the angels with free will. Now, same as he created man. So, we're going to see quite a parallel between creation, between man. So, he created man with a free will, created the angels with a free will. He didn't want a bunch of zombies just obey me, or robots, yes sir, love me, put your arms around me, worship me, I'm on an ego trip, worship me or else I'll thump you. You know, I mean, there's none of that going on. So God took what I call a calculator risk and created angels with a free will. Now it seems that Lucifer was the archangel of the worship, he was a worship leader, most significant, and led the angelic host in the, in the time of worship when the sons of God uh, and the morning stars sang together and as they worshipped Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now somewhere in the mystery of what happened in eternity, as I see, is that God decided to manifest himself, reveal himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the book of Hebrews we have this peculiar thing where it says, and when he brings his only begotten or his first begotten into the habitable world, he said, let all the angels of God worship him. And somewhere in this mystery of iniquity, Lucifer rose up against the word and said, I'm not going to worship him because I'm next to the throne of God. I'm the anointed cherub that covereth. And here, it's a frightening thing to think that sin began in a musician, a worship leader. And when Satan was cast out of heaven, God never stripped him of his music ministry Satan just corrupted it. And we have evidence of that in the world today. Thank you, Kevin, for that very interesting point. Uh, am I talking to the right people? Are you breathing out there? So now, what we have is God's supreme will, and under God's supreme will, all the angels were given a free will, and as long as all these free wills were submitted to God's good and perfect and holy will, there was harmony in heaven. That's what Mark and Nicole are finding. Those kids have got a will of their own. <laughs> and so Mark is belting Nicole out of them. Uh, no, no, the, the other way around, isn't it? Nicole's belting Mark out of them. They've all got a will of their own. Where do they get it from? So now, as long as the angels submitted their free wills to God's good and perfect will, there was harmony in heaven. But the moment Lucifer said, I will, I will, I will, I will, and I like this expression that I learned a number of years ago, he crossed God's will. And have you ever thought that the cross actually began in heaven? 
Now just think of it. The word cross, very simple definition in the dictionary, is that a, a cross is simply two ideas or two thoughts or two wheels or two pieces of wood crossing each other, running in opposite directions. So here we have the horizontal bar of God's will and all the angels, their free will submitted to God's will and there's harmony in heaven. But the moment Lucifer said, I will, he crossed God's will. And uh, someone has brought this out very beautifully that five times Lucifer said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. How many know he need to see an eye specialist? Uh, five times. And so we have, I will ascend, self-ascension. I will exalt myself, self-exaltation. Uh, I will uh, exalt my throne, self-enthronement. I will be like God, independent of God, self-dependence. I will be like God. I want worship. Satan's still after worship. He's going to get it to later on. He's getting it now with so many Satanist churches. Self-deification. So he crossed God's will five times. And as, uh, as has, has been brought to my attention over the years, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he re received five wounds. And the five wounds of Jesus on the cross of Calvary doing the Father's will is... All of us are eye specialists. I will, I will, I will. I, nobody's going to tell me. I will. And when Jesus comes into your life and my life, he puts the horizontal bar. And then you say, not my will, but your will be done. That's the principle of the cross in our life. But the cross began in heaven. So now what happens, Lucifer moves around amongst the angels and starts a whispering campaign and says, Hey, you're supposed to be free will creations. You're just a slave to God's will. Why don't you exercise your free will and do your thing, do your thing, existentialism, do your own thing. And uh, if you come with me, then we can start the Anglican church. Uh, I mean, pardon me, the, uh, the angelic church, that's right. And uh, I'll give you a position in the angelic church. I can make you a high deacon, a low deacon, an archangel, a fallen angel, just whatever. Just. And so we assume this that a third of the angels fell. Now, I want you to turn over, because how are you fallen from heaven, O day star? I want you, and, and remember Proverbs I've given you, turn over while I'm talking fast here. Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Luke chapter 10, verse 18. So how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, O day star, a fallen star? And Proverbs tells us, uh, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, O Daystar? Pride goes before destruction. So he's lifted up in pride. I will be like God. I want to be worshipped as God. Self-deification. Egotheistic. And listen to what Jesus says. Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. Where are we? Luke 10, verse 18, Jesus has sent the 70 out. So in verse 17, I'll pick it up. The 70 return again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils and the demons are subject to us through your name. And uh, Jesus just seemed to ignore them. He didn't say, oh, that's wonderful. I want you to write a magazine. Your box number will be 666. Didn't do any of that. I mean, they're all excited to be out. Oh, wow, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. And Jesus just seemed to ignore that. And he said, I beheld, now listen carefully, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Then he goes on to give him a little bit of humble pie. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But I don't want you to be lifted up in pride about de demons being subject to you. Notwithstanding, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hallelujah. So why do you do that? Because here the 70 are on a little ego trip, danger of being lifted up in pride over their ministry. And Jesus said, hey, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven, he fell through pride. Pride goes before destruction, haughty spirit before fall. So don't you be lifted up. You just rejoice that your names are written in heaven, not over your ministry, but over your name being in the book of life. Everybody said hallelujah. Good little bit of humble pie. Now, I want you to think of the symbol that Jesus used here. I beheld Satan 
as lightning fall from heaven. Now, when did he see that? Uh, Was Jesus back in eternity when he saw Satan fall? Maybe because when God said, when he brings his only begotten into the world, he said, let all the angels of God worship him, that Satan rose up against the word, so the word had to be made flesh to deal with him. Or is Jesus looking forward to Revelation chapter 12, when Michael and his angels fight with the devil and his angels, and Satan's cast out. Or is Jesus seeing something now in the ministry of the church? Even the demons are subject to us. Well, because he's the I am, not the I was or the I will be, he sees the whole lot. But you see, here's the figure. I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. What is lightning? Lightning is light that is gone chaotic. It's gotten out of control. Falling light. And when lightning strikes, look here, I mean, look at the stories we could say of that, what lightning's done, kills people, brings destruction, destroys building. And so that's what I see happen. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth became without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And so when Satan was cast out of heaven, he struck this earth as the most powerful archangel. I don't like to hear people mock, make jokes about the devil, you know, say, oh, smutty face and everything. Hey, even Michael the archangel wouldn't dare trifle with the devil, the archangel, but he said, the Lord rebuked thee. And if Michael the archangel was a little bit, what do we human beings need to do? So I beheld Satan fall as lightning. How are you falling from heaven, O day star? A a falling star. Just take a meteorite to hit this earth and knock this planet Earth out of orbit, which seems to take place in Revelation a bit. Well, what do you think when this angelic being struck the earth, lightning, and brought about the chaotic condition on the earth? That's the picture that we have. Ruined creation, frustrated purpose. God intended it to, you know, fulfill his will. Okay, number three, number four. So the frustrated purpose, God's purpose apparently was frustrated with what happened when the angels fell, when Lucifer fell, and this earth became without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Why don't you add this scripture? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So where did the darkness come from? The earth is without form and void chaos and uh, empty and waste and ruin and darkness. It's upon the face of the deep. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Satan is the author and the king of the kingdom of darkness. Now let's go back to Genesis and we'll move on to section B here. I think we've covered enough there. All right, section B, the first principle of restoration. So looking at the big picture, creation, degeneration, and now everything without ruin and face and uh, without form and void, darkness upon the face of the deep, that's the condition, a chaotic condition brought about through pride and self-will. Now, notice what happens in verse 2, and this will go to your letter B on your outline here, the first principle of restoration. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters... Now, here's the interesting thing, and as I said here, what I understand here is the first principle of restoration in the Bible. The Spirit of God moved. Here we have Elohim, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And which of the divine persons takes the initiative in the midst of this chaotic condition and darkness and hopelessness and helplessness and just uh, uh, chaos? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. In other words, as you've got in your notes there, we have movement of the Spirit. Movement of the Spirit. And you know, there's not going to be any restoration of man or anything else unless the Holy Spirit moves and He takes the initiative. How many are glad that the Spirit of God's moved on your heart? I'm glad He took the initiative. You see, you know, so often we talk about us coming to God. Well, remember, grace is not God, uh, grace is not man coming to God, grace is God coming to man. And the Spirit of God takes the initiative. So the Spirit of God moved. He hovered, he fluttered, he just brooded like a dove in the midst of this chaotic condition. And we weren't there to help God out. The Spirit moved. Now, number two, as time keeps moving. Number two, the second thing that happens, after the Spirit moved, 
upon the face of the deep, upon the face of the waters. In verse 3 now, and we're told, and God said. Now, if you mark your Bible, ten times in this chapter, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said. Ten times. Now, here's the principle I want you to pick up. It is first the Spirit, then the Word. The Spirit made way for the Word. So the first principle here of restoration is first the Spirit, the Spirit of God moving, and then God speaking. So the Spirit and the Word. So this is the first principle, the Spirit of God. So first the Spirit, then the Word. And ten times God said, God said, God said, God said. So the Spirit, reading off my notes here, the Spirit precedes the Word. The Spirit makes way for the Word. But it's first the Spirit, then the Word. Why do we come together to worship and everything like that before we receive the Word? Because we're praying that the Spirit of God will just move upon our hearts and make our hearts ready for the Word. Can we say amen tonight? So first the Spirit, then the Word. So I to say a lot of churches today, the Holy Spirit just gets in at the benediction. Praise Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. How many of you know that's the wrong end of the meeting to let Him in? He'd like to move right from the start. So first the Spirit, then the Word. So the Spirit of God was moving, brooding, hovering, and then God said ten times. We haven't got time to, to go through all those references, but you can mark them yourself. So how did we get our Bible? Why don't you put this scripture down? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. All scripture is given by inspiration of God or... Holy men of God spake, how? As they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit that produced the Word. The Spirit produced the Word. All right, quickly, where are we up to? So, the Spirit of God moving, the Word spoken. Now, what did the Word do? Number three, God said, let there be light. The first thing the Word produces is light. Why don't you put down Psalm 119 and verse 30, uh, 130. Psalm 119, verse 30. The first thing the Word produced was light. Because God can only work in an atmosphere of light. Here everything's without, chaos, you know, without form and void and chaos and a waste of ruin and emptiness and darkness is upon the face of the deep. And in the midst of the darkness, the chaotic condition, the Spirit of God is moving, now God's speaking. And the first thing the Word produces is light. And what does the psalmist say? The entrance of your word gives light. On my notes here, I've got, God can only truly work in an atmosphere of light. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Light is pure, transparent, clear, and light cannot be contaminated or defiled by Satan or sin. The word always produces light. All right, number four. Look what happened now. The next verse tells us, And God saw the light that was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Okay, let's look at the picture we've got here. Spirit of God moving, God speaking, and the first thing the Word uh, uh, brings forth is light, God working in an atmosphere of light. Now we have two things here, and you might like to make a note of this on the note. This is the first use of the word division in the Bible. First use of the word division in the Bible. God divided the light from the darkness. And, why don't you add this to your notes? God named these two objects or articles. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. But we have division. Because what is being shadowed forth now here is the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Spirit of God moving, God speaking, and everybody today is either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. I want you to go over quickly as our time keeps moving here. Turn over to, uh, to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want you to see what Paul does with this. And if you want to go uh, way over to uh, section C here, section C, creation to redemption, 1 Thessalonians 5, I want you to see what Paul does with this. Let me read it uh, quickly here. You doing all right there? I know I'm moving fast, but 
That's life found here. It's life in the fast land. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 1. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they'll not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Notice what Paul does now. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Why don't you try and take this statement down, something we use in hermeneutics. What happens here, as I've got here, Paul is going way back to creation, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through to 5, and he now takes the language of creation and the language of creation becomes the language of redemption. So back in creation, God divided the light from the day, and he called the light day, uh, from the night, pardon me. He called the light day, and he called the darkness night. Now Paul goes back to creation and makes it the language of redemption, says you and I are now children of the light. We are children of the day. We are not of the darkness. We are not of the night. You're allowed to say amen on this. And then he describes characteristics of the children of the darkness and children of the light. The characteristics of the children of darkness are sleepiness and drunkenness. Sleepiness and drunkenness. Characteristics of the children of the day, children of the light, are soberness, which means to be of a disciplined mind, and watchfulness. Way back. So, language of creation becomes the language of redemption. Put down uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, where Paul uses again, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our time's just about up. I want you to go to section D. I said I'm going to finish this tonight. So I want you to look at the overhead for your fill-in. Now, all that pattern that I've done is what happened to man. So what happened to earth is what happened to man. God created heaven and earth. It was created for a purpose. This is on section D. It became a waste of ruin and emptiness. Darkness was on the face of the deep. Entrance of sin and chaos. Need of restoration. Spirit of God moved. Entrance of word brings light. Light and day. Darkness and night divided. And we have in Genesis chapter 1 a restored creation. Now, let's see what happens to mankind. Because the same principle. So number one, here's your fill in. Man was created by God. Number two, man was created for fellowship, character, dominion, and fruitfulness. Fourfold purpose of God creating man. Number three, man became ruined and a waste and an emptiness. And darkness is upon the face of the deep. Deep calls under deep. There's a deep in man that people try to satisfy. There's an emptiness there. So man became ruined in an emptiness. Number four, darkness is on the deep within. Every child, every person born in the world is born in the kingdom of darkness. There's darkness on the deep within. Number five, this all happened through the entrance of sin into the human race. Number six, Henry would say, there's a need for restoration. Ask your question. How many would say, are you writing fast, are you? Okay, man needs to be restored. This is his chaotic condition. Because earth and man are sort of related. When earth fell, man fell. When man fell, earth fell. Number seven, the Spirit of God takes the initiative. None of us would come to God on our own. If the Holy Spirit didn't come to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment, we'd never come to God. When people say to me, oh, well, I'll get saved when I want to, when I've got time. Hey, we don't know when we've got time. I'm glad it's the Holy Spirit that comes and takes the initiative. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Spirit of God takes the initiative. Number eight, what happens when the Spirit of God comes? The gospel of light comes. The gospel, the word of the gospel. The entrance of your word brings light. 
So when we're preaching the gospel, we're witnessing to people, we're shining light, we're children of light, we're, we're shining the light, hopefully into their darkened hearts, praying that the Spirit of God will move upon the deep within, and they'll respond. Number nine, once a person accepts Christ, he comes out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now he has to take on the character of the kingdom of light and watchfulness, soberness, walk in the light as children of light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, you're the light of the world. Children of light, and then we have the kingdom of darkness. And then number 10, the whole end result is that man is restored only through redemption. There is no restoration apart from redemption. Are your pens smoking? We do have fire extinguishers. All right, how many feel you've sort of got the big picture tonight? So let's sort of summarize what I've been trying to get across. So what happened in the earth is what happened to man. So God created the heavens and the earth, and we would assume the theory I hold that the fall of Satan took place and brought about this chaotic condition here, and now the Spirit of God has to move and take the initiative, and then God's Word comes, and then Genesis chapter 1 actually is more a chapter of restoration than creation. We have creation, verse 1, degeneration, verse 2, restoration right through, then we only have two acts of creation in Genesis 1, creation of man and woman and creation of beasts. That's the picture. Now, superimpose it on the Bible. What happened in Genesis chapter 1 is a picture of what happened to man. God created man. Man fell through sin, darkness. Now God comes in just the grace of restoration, the grace of redemption to restore man back to the image from which he fell. And how many are being restored now? Still being restored through the grace of God. All right, we finished right on time. We did it. Let's all stand. Let's all stand and have a word of prayer and thank the Lord for his word. And then parents, you need to pick up your children. Father, once again, we uh, thank you for the tremendous picture that your word gives us, the big picture. And that's what you see, Lord. We have such a limited frame of reference many times and just see things through our little hole in the fence. But Father, we thank you that you see over the fence and see the big picture. And we thank you, Father, for your grace in all of our lives, Lord, that when we were in the kingdom of darkness, the Spirit came and convicted us and your gospel came, the word of truth came to our hearts, Lord, and you brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son, into the kingdom of light. Help us, Lord, as we go forth into this week, uh, week, Lord, to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Help us to be watchful and to be sober of a disciplined mind in an undisciplined uh, society, Father. Help us, Lord, to be witnesses of the light. Thank you for our time together, and we give you all the praise and glory in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. You are dismissed. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.